Amen. Well, we finished 1 Peter last Sunday, and so today we're starting into the book of 2 Peter. So you can turn there. 2 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, but it was written toward the end of his life. He was about ready to pass on, and he knew that. Um, his, the date of what would ultimately be his execution was approaching. And so it has a little different emphasis than 1 Peter. 1 Peter talked about dealing with all the difficulties of life. But in 2 Peter, it seems that he wanted to pass on the lessons that he had learned from his life. And also a lot of it is spent warning people against false teaching and things like that as we go into it. But here where the the book starts and the verses that we will look at this morning, Peter describes life. And he describes life as a dance, as a movement, as a, tra- as a series of transitions. He takes the metaphor of dance and applies it to, to growth and life. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting metaphor. And as we get down through it a little bit, I think you'll see this develop a little bit more. But Peter wanted people to understand that life is not just to be lived. It's not just a question of what you do. That was what he grew up with in Judaism, was just follow the rules, do the right things, and then your life will be your life. But he had discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ that radically changed the way that he looked at life. Now, is, for many of us, the metaphor of dance might even be disturbing. Um, I grew up in a Christian culture that believed that dancing was evil, um, for which I was really grateful because I was a terrible dancer. <laughs> Ordinarily, most of the things that we were forbidden to do, I relished. But dancing, I was really glad to have that excuse because I was a klutz when it came to dancing. But Peter starts out in the first few verses establishing and reminding us of who we are because when we understand who we are, we gain a confidence that's a key to living lives in a way that's, that's beautiful and graceful. And the reason why I don't dance is I don't have confidence. But the devil wants to destroy our confidence at every level possible because if the devil can convince us that we aren't worth anything, that, we, that we're failures, that we are losers, we believe him and we don't do anything and our life doesn't become what it is. So, so Peter starts here in the first four verses before he gets to the meat of the passage. He starts by just reminding us, here's who you are, here's what you have, here's what God has done for you, with the idea of let's get some confidence, let's, let's get some appreciation for what our God has done for us. And he starts out, verse 1, and he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He was serving Jesus, but he had been sent by Jesus, and he knew that, and you have been too. To those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm writing to you because you understand that there is a value. That's what the word precious means. That that faith that you have in him that has resulted in a righteousness that he gives to you is something that we all share together. 
And as he says, it's the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some people would read that and just go, oh, okay, so God and Jesus were at work together. Um, and when, but this is actually one of the strongest statements in the New Testament of the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Peter wasn't vague about that. The, the Greek construction that's used here, God and Savior Jesus Christ have to be referring to the same people. It's, in, in English, it sounds ambiguous. Oh, God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But in the Greek, he used a construction that always designated that both of them refer to the same person. Now, I don't want to bore you with a bunch of linguistic studies, um, but just in case there's somebody here who might question that, here's how this, here's how this construction works in the Greek. There's, there's something called the Granville-Sharp rule in the Greek. And if you want to really make people think you're smart, write Granville Sharp there. Granville Sharp was an was a 18th century British scholar who, he was an amazing man, loved God, a Greek and Hebrew scholar, but he was also one of the greatest activists in uh, the movement to, to eliminate slavery. And really quite an impressive man if you read about his life. But one of the things that he proved was that in the Greek, what we call the Granville Sharp Rule, is that when you have two nouns and only one of them has the definite article, which in English would be the, um, and you join these two nouns with the word chi or and, then they always refer to the same thing. Ordinarily, if you're putting and with two nouns and they are two distinct things, then you would have the God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'd go, yeah, they're two different ones. But in this construction, it's the God and Lord Jesus Christ with one definite article. Granville Sharp Rule says they have to be the same person. It's the same Greek construction. Boy, I'm going to lose you. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I love this stuff, but just understand this. It's God. Jesus is God. Titus 2.13, the same Greek construction, Granville Sharp rule, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior are one. So, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> so he says, we've all together got this precious faith from Jesus who is God. And he says, grace and mercy be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The knowledge there, that word epignosis, is, is a word that means to know something by experience in an intimate way. Um, it's, talking, it's, a, it's a word of relationship. It's that we are really getting to know Him. That's a common theme for Peter, this idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says we have that, and grace and peace because of knowing Him as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God's power is at our disposal. And through God's power, he says, he has given us everything that we need for life. Everything that we need to live life the way it's supposed to be lived, we already have that power. We don't have, we're not limited in that, but He has given us that power. 
And, and not just for power, but for godliness, for life, but for godliness as well. And the word there for godliness is a word that means a good worshiper, someone who is good at being reverent, good at expressing devotion to God. And so he says, we have everything that we need to live, and we have everything that we need to worship because of his power. And, and so he says that it's through the knowledge of the one who called us by glory and by virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has promised so much to us in order that through these you may be partakers. The word means fellowshippers with, koinonos. You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or the decay that is in the world through lust. There's this work of God by which we are in fellowship with Him and actually partake in the divine nature. That, that doesn't mean that Oh, we have that we are divinity, that we become gods, as some people have misunderstood this to mean. That word nature is just a word that means growth. Something's planted and it blossoms forth. And so he says, we are so blessed that God is working in our lives in a way that he is working out something really beautiful in us. By his power and according to our relationship with him, we are connecting with God. And part of the process of that is we have escaped the decay that is in the world through lust. The world is destroying itself because of wanting the wrong things. And he says when we come into a relationship with God, we are able to have a different frame of reference, and therefore we stop decaying, we stop falling apart, we can begin to live our lives with proper priorities, if you will, rather than to just continue to follow what we feel like doing and heading down that road to destruction and devastation. So here, all that's introductory to what he's going to say, but what he is saying is, do you understand how blessed you are? Do you understand the promises that God has for you, what he wants to do in your life? Can you even comprehend of the power of what God can do in you and through you? And he says, we've all been those who have that fellowship. We have that in common. We have that, that the, the beauty of the promise of God in our lives. And so he says all of that, and then he gets into verse 5, which is really the meat of the passage. The first four verses were just to remind us of who we are. Verse 5 says, but also for this very reason, here's what this is about, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, when we read a passage like that, we tend to think in terms of, well, it even says, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, and so on. So we look on this as a mathematical concept, okay? We do faith, and then we do virtue, and we think, in terms of spiritual growth, we tend to think, okay, I got that over with, now what do I do next? And we see it as a progression, we see it as a mathematical problem, ultimately. 
But that's because we're not reading it in the original language. And in Elizabethan English, you know, they, the religious people were not going to say something about dancing, and so they took a really beautiful word in this passage and turned it into a mathematical term. I want you to focus on the word add for a moment because it explains what everything else is. The word there for add has nothing to do with adding. It has nothing to do with math. Um, it's, a, it's a dancing term. And the word there is epikorigeo. You want to remember that word. <laughs> I don't care if you remember it or not. But that's a pretty big fancy word to be translated as add. But epikorigeo, a korigeo was a dance leader. The Greek word chorus means a group of people dancing in a circle. And the word that's tacked on the end, which is a go in the Greek, is the word that means to lead. So a korigeo was a dance leader. We have the word choreography, which takes dance, and it's grapho, or writing, and it's writing a dance routine. That's what, that's what a choreographer does. So here we have this word for leading the dance, and then the word epi, which is upon, and all of that put together, what he is challenging us to do is to see ourselves as those who are conducting and leading a dance and here are the dance steps that he lays out. Um, if, if you're like going, nah, no way, That's, that doesn't sound right. My Bible doesn't say that. I've heard sermons on this passage before and they didn't say that. Well, sorry, that's what it says. If you want to come in during the week, I'll show you in the Greek New Testament exactly how this word came about. Now, <laughs> here's why it matters. You could go, well, are you just trying to make up something new because nobody else does this? No, really, I, I don't do that on purpose. But, but as, I, as I meditated on this and studied it, it struck me how much life is like a dance or like lots of other things that, that would be equivalent to dancing in our lives. Now, at the same time, some people don't do life very well, just like some people don't dance well. I, they're on their honeymoon, so I'm sure they're not here. But last night, I was at a wedding... And after the wedding, we went to the reception, and bride and groom, they're both, uh, you know, like about 40 and never been married, probably never danced before, but they had this first dance. And they picked a song that doesn't have a good rhythm, it'd be hard to dance to anyway, but it was the most, I mean, it was beautiful because it was them, and there was this simplicity, and there was this intimacy that was really sweet, but as a dance, it was really clumsy, it was, you could tell they were not enjoying the dance at all. They're like, okay, one, two, three, one, two. You couldn't tell who was leading, but they were talking like, okay, here comes the spin. Okay. You know? And then they just like stop. They're just standing there and they're like, oh, what? Oh, okay. Okay. It was the cutest thing to watch, but it was really anything but an expression of what dance ultimately is supposed to express because the transitions were weak. They did the moves, but without the transitions. And there are so many things in life that are that way, that are an artistic expression because of the way they are put together. Now, for me, dancing was never my thing. Um, but I love martial arts. And martial arts, in a lot of ways, is a dance. It's a series of moves 
you can't do it until you learn the moves, but anybody can do the moves. It's how to flow from one move to the next that smooths it out and makes it an art rather than just an activity. So dancing is that way. There are a lot of other things that are that way. Some people run in a way that's beautiful. You know, it, you first learn to run, it's like clunk, 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 and it's hard on your body. You look at somebody who really knows how to run, it's so smooth. Their head just stays at the same level. It's not hard on their knees or anything because they've learned to smooth out the movements. In any sport, you see this. To, it's a thing of beauty and grace to see someone who's really a good basketball player swoop through the air. It looks like they actually hang there and don't move for a moment. And, you know, it's just amazing. And there are a whole lot of activities in life that are that way. When you do it well, music is that way. Anyone can play any note that anyone else can play. But it's putting them together with a rest in the right place, the timing being perfect, the notes that are put together in a certain way that a beautiful piece of music ends up coming out and being the result of it. Dancing is that way. And I think a lot of times we live life as Christians by going through the motions of the moves and we turn Christianity into a, a legalistic kind of math problem whereby I do this and then I do this and we look like somebody who hasn't figured out how to dance smoothly yet. And what Peter is emphasizing here is the life that we live is a life that should flow. The Jews, the Hebrew people, um, understood about this dancing. And generally, their dances were in a big circle. And if you, if you ever go to Israel or you have a chance to go anywhere where you see um, Hebrew dancing, it's incredibly beautiful. These people who often are so, look so sad and strained and stressed, let go of all of that and just with reckless abandon, their, their, their worship becomes an expression of dancing and it's really a beautiful and, and an inspiring thing to see. And it's that imagery that Peter is borrowing from and he's saying, give all diligence, get into this. Let your life be this eruption of smooth transitions and, and expressions of beauty. And ultimately, that's such a wonderful definition of how life should be lived when it actually works. And so with that in mind, moving through this list of transitions, he starts with faith. Oh, by the way, um, as we go through life, we talk about growing old gracefully. Some people just aren't able to make transitions. And so they're getting older, but they're still trying to be younger, trying to look younger, trying to act younger, and it just looks stupid. And, and then some people, as they get older, they just get mean, or they don't, we don't make adjustments and transitions. Think about that as we're thinking about life, too. But he starts out with faith. The Greek word pistis, it means to be persuaded. This is kind of what happens when you go, this makes sense. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I, I want to live my life with him. And that faith that starts, that faith that saves, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. As that gift of God develops in your life, that's kind of the starting point. And some people never really get going in their life because they've never even been persuaded that that's what they want to do. 
But starting from there, he says, let your faith dance into virtue. Now, the word there for virtue, erite in the Greek, it's a, it's a word literally that means manliness. The root word came from lifting something up because it was presumed that if you were a man, you were able to lift things well. Now, no insult to any women. Uh, for one thing, only men generally could read in those days, so he's telling men to man up. Um, but hey, if you're a really strong woman and you think you can lift more than a man, more power to you. But, <laughs> but he's really saying, he's calling men to be a man and to be able to demonstrate strength. But in a way that flows and expresses. And it's so hard sometimes to transition from faith to that strength of being who you are. I would say for a woman, that would be being the best woman that you can be. For a man, being the best man you can be. But accepting who you are and being comfortable in your own skin is kind of the idea here. And so sometimes when we come to faith, we don't know how that works out in terms of who I am. And so often the language that we hear from people makes us think that if we are people of faith, then that means we need to be real mealy-mouthed and watered down and meek and mild and all that kind of stuff. But Peter certainly was not that guy. And he was just saying, you come to the point of persuasion, but transition to where that faith becomes the basis of who you really are, that you're not just faking life, that you're a man and you man up and you act like a man and you, and you demonstrate strength and, and you take the strengths of who you are and allow your life to transition into those strengths. And then he says, add to your virtue. And by the way, the reason they ended up translating that uh, word as virtue in particular is because there is nothing more virtuous than to have the integrity to be who you are, what makes you who you are. And so add to that knowledge. Now for men especially, to move from a position of being a man and strength to being at a place where you realize you need to learn, there's something that seems very unlike a man especially, to be a student, to be a learner. We'd rather be out at recess. We'd rather be out playing than sitting and learning. But as God works in our lives for all of us, it's important to understand that the whole of life is an opportunity for education. We are looking for things that we can learn. If you stop learning, you start dying. If you, if, if you stop growing, you begin to shrink. And so, he says, hey, as you're moving from faith on through, as your next step becomes that virtue of being consistent and who you are and honest and all those kinds of things, then make sure that you're learning. You don't just automatically know how to do something. People who make life smooth or people who do an activity that really works well whether it's a dance or a musical piece or an athletic achievement, whether it's the art of a deal in business or wh whatever it is, that comes from experience or it should. And so what we learn should cause us to, again, 
for our life to flow. And so he says, don't just keep doing the same thing and expecting it to work out better the next time. If you were learning to dance, you'd make a move and it would be like, whoa, that wasn't smooth. Okay, so how did we do that? How did that work? I think it was because I put my left foot in front of my right foot and what I really need to do is put it in, in back of my right foot and I go, oh yeah, that was much smoother. In the same way in life, it's having the mentality of saying, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to see God take me to a point where my life is starting to smooth out the rough edges. If that doesn't happen, and I don't look any differently than I used to look, or worse yet, I'm, I'm getting even worse at living life, then why would anyone even be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ? Our lives as we grow should be lives of learning always until the day we die because it's learning, it's knowledge that helps us to smooth out the rough edges and provide grace to our lives. You know, when somebody's a brand new Christian and they want to talk to other people about the Lord, it, it's kind of funny how, you know, they, they do it in such a forced kind of a way, and yet they really mean well. I remember years ago, we had a kid on our, on our wrestling team who was a brand new Christian, and he had lived out on the streets for years, raised himself for many years. Finally, he had moved in with his uncle, hadn't been in school for several years, and he was like 16 years old. And... Um, so he came to our school, and he was real rough around the edges, but gave his life to Jesus Christ. And, and I remember seeing him after a wrestling match. He had penned a kid, and then he went over, and he was talking really animated to him. And I thought, oh, no, Andy's going to get in a fight. And so I walked over there on the side of the mat, and he was talking to the kid, and he goes, he goes you know, um, the Bible says, uh, uh, I don't know what it says, but you need Jesus. <laughs> And I thought, that was pretty cool for him. <laughs> but at some point, our presentation needs to smooth out a bit. We can work on it, and, it, and, it can, and, and in every area of life, that's the case. Clunky is cute when you're starting out, but hopefully we grow. Hopefully we get better and, and pick up knowledge along the way. And then he says, add to knowledge self-control. The word self-control is a word that literally comes from saying in strength, but the word generally refers to the capacity to be able to, to intelligently resist desires, to be able to control yourself from being a slave to your desires. Before, he talked about what was in the world through lust. What messes people up is what they want, and in order to have grace in your life, you have to get to the point where you just don't do whatever you feel like doing, say whatever you feel like saying, and justify it based on, well, sorry, it just came out of my head, through my mouth, in what I did. Yeah, we get that. We all want to do things that we shouldn't do. But as we learn and as we grow, we don't use our knowledge to blast others, but we use our knowledge to temper our own slavery to what we feel like doing. And some people just never quite make that transition. And so whenever we, you know, we are resisting sin, it's constantly like this horrible battle. Like I'm obsessed with all the things that I want to do that I know I shouldn't do. And I, but it's not supposed to always be that kind of a battle. 
as you learn, as you grow in knowledge, that knowledge can flow into the ability to say, you know what, I'm used to not just doing everything I feel like doing. And I'm gaining in self-control. I'm getting a discipline in my life that is becoming more and more natural, more and more comfortable for me. The first day you're on a diet is anything but that. But if you've found a successful kind of groove, after a while you're not even thinking that much about what you want to eat that you shouldn't eat because you actually feel good about the fact that you haven't been eating it. And all of a sudden you find ways of eating and ways of living and ways of thinking and even ways of snacking that don't completely destroy you. And that's what he's saying here. Find a way for your life to reflect the kind of control that doesn't just always mean banging heads with yourself or just punishing yourself. And then he goes on and he says, your next dance step after that is perseverance. That means, literally the word means to stay under. Perseverance is referring to patience. And, it, and to stay under is, has the connotation pause, stop, rest a while. And you know, in every art form, whatever it is, certainly in dancing, it's not just the movements and it's not even just the transitions, but sometimes it's the pauses that make everything. In music, the ability to hold off, the ability to be patient, to not rush your notes, to not rush what you're going to say is so key because it's so much about timing. They say about comedy that it's all about timing. There was an old joke that, you know, the guy says, ask me what the key to comedy is. And the guy says, what's the key? Timing. <laughs> Interrupting him and say, it's hard to do with one person. But, <laughs> but, you know, life is that way. You're like, oh, I want to push it. And, and yet really a gracious life is one where you're able to wait. You're, you're under control. You have, you've won that victory. You know where you're going. And as a result, you're okay with even an uncomfortable silence in your life for a period of time. You're waiting for that opportunity. I know in martial arts that was one of the hardest things to teach people, is to wait for an opening, to wait for an opportunity, and to move when it's not expected. And that's what makes a dance interesting, and that's what makes a musical piece original. And even in a painting, it's the areas that don't have something in it that sometimes speak more than those that do. So the lesson for us in life is, okay, you're self-controlled, but you're not functioning like a robot. You're not mechanical in the way that you're doing things. It begins to flow because in your life, you've developed a capacity for perseverance and patience. You, you can wait for the right time for things to open up. You know, in relationships, it's so important to have a sense of timing. It's so important to know when to bring something up. Otherwise, if you're just a blunderbust and you just push, okay, I'm going to say it, and now, well, there, I said it. That's not smooth. That's very immature. But to live our lives in such a way that, okay, God's not doing anything right now, but wait, 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 whew, there it is. To do less is to stress ourselves out constantly. If you find yourself between jobs, you've lost a job, 
You know, some people are more stressed when they're not working than when they are. Because it's like, oh, I don't have a job, I don't have a job, I don't have a job. And that's completely unproductive. Um, if you don't have a job right now, God's doing something right now. Are you willing to just go, okay, don't freak out, don't freak out, just wait, let's see what God does, let's spend some time with Him and, and see how He works this out. Then He says, dance from perseverance to godliness. And again, we talked about this word earlier, eusebos in the Greek, but it's a, it's a word that means you're a good worshiper. To worship God is just to focus on Him, to tell Him what He is worth, to be able to calm our hearts and just enjoy fellowship with Him. And this word for godliness is a word that means that you're good at that. It's something that is hard for many of us to be good at. A lot of times we think of worship as just, oh, that time of the service that lets people come in and be seated. Or when you begin to hear worship, it means... Okay, finish your donut, finish your coffee, and then start meandering into the sanctuary. Um, but worship is so much at the core of what life is, to be good at stopping and spending time with Him. And in those pauses, in that patience, to be able to worship Him honestly is something that really smooths out the, the steps from going from patience to worship. It's it's really a beautiful thing. People who can just, just relax in the presence of the Lord and spend time with Him, that's, that's gracious. That's a part of what life should be about. And, and then he says, move from that to brotherly kindness. The Greek word there is the word Philadelphia, which the city bears no resemblance to the concept. Philos means friend, and, and Adelphos means brother. And the idea is, you are beginning to form relationships with people that, are, that resemble family, what family relationships are supposed to be. You're finding connections. As you go through these dance steps, as you work through these moves, you find yourself all of a sudden working together with others. There's nothing more amazing than to see two people who are really good at something doing it together. It's just... It's a thing of beauty and grace and precision. I think of two ice dancers as they spin on the ice so smoothly. And, you know, yeah, you're watching, hoping they fall because that's more interesting. But <laughs> it's amazing what they can do. It's amazing what they're able to perform as their moves tie in together. In the same way, when we begin to learn how to live our Christian life in a smooth, expressive, graceful way, we find ourselves in sync with others. We find ourselves making really special connections with others, and it's like, wow, look, God is doing this, and, and I've found someone who's a kindred spirit, someone that I am really connected to. And then he says, you move from that into love, agape, that deep, selfless sense of, I would lay my life on the line for you. I, I love you, and course, Paul talks about the fact that without this, we have nothing. Now, those are the dance steps, but remember, the dances in those days were always in a circle. So it's not, okay, I got that out of the way, now I move on to the next one. It's how can our lives flow in this way with these qualities whereby when people look at how we do life, they go, wow, 
You make that look easy. You make that look so natural. See, if we can't ever get to where our Christianity looks smooth and natural, then very few people are going to believe in it. If it, you know, and again, like I said, with, with uh, you know, a kid who's a brand new Christian, you just need Jesus. There are some people who have been Christians for 40 years, and they still think that's what they need to do, and go out on the street and yell at people and have a gimmick or whatever. The greatest opportunities to share your faith are going to be when people just look at your life and say, you don't seem to be burdened down like most people. You seem to roll with the punches. You're growing old gracefully. You're, you seem to relish life and appreciate it. And when they see the rough edges being knocked off of you and your life is just credible, your life is, you can look at it and go, that looks like what life ought to be. Then what an attractive thing that is. And, and that's really what this whole this whole dance routine that he's talking about, all of this choreography is really all about is how can we live life the way life was designed to be lived? Not clunky, not klutzy, not mechanical, not legalistically, but smoothly. And so as he lays all of this out, he then now talks a little bit about, as our time is about it, but he talks a little bit about what happens when you do this and what happens when you don't. He says, verse 8, if these things are yours and they abound, you get better and better at this, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word there for barren is the word argon. It's, It's the word ergo, which means work, and it's the A in front of it means not working. And what he's saying is, if you do this, you won't find yourself with a life that's not working. You won't be unemployed. You won't be living in a way that's just banging your head against the wall. You'll find that actually you have a purpose in life. You'll find that God is actually getting something done. Your life will be ergonomic. It'll actually be smooth and, and, and functional. And he goes, if you ignore this, then you're going to find yourself unemployed, basically. You're going to find yourself with life not working. And then, as he says also, or unfruitful. There's not going to be fruit from your life. Nothing, you won't leave anything behind. You won't leave anything into the lives of others. You're not going to give them anything that enriches them or blesses them. You'll just be like a stick, not like a, not like a fruitful tree. And it's in knowing Jesus Christ Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. The word there for short-sighted means you have smoke in your eyes. It's like looking, trying to look through something, but it's all foggy. Um, And he says that's what's happening when your life isn't smooth, when your life isn't gracious and graceful, when you're you're not allowing yourself this, this luxurious dance. You can't see you lose your perspective. It's cloudy. And then he says also, and even to blindness, and the word there for blindness means that you shut your eyes. And so he says, if you don't figure out how this works, ultimately things are going to get more and more foggy, and eventually you'll give up and shut your eyes. Just go, it's too painful to look at. And other people will shut their eyes too. 
And he says, if you do that, you forgot that you've been cleansed from your old sins. You've lost your perspective. You forgot what it used to be like before you knew Jesus Christ. And as he says, you've been cleansed. The word there is uh, the word catharsis, which means you've been healed. You've been medical. You've had your wound cleaned up and things like that. He goes, if you forget what you've been saved from, if you forget what it was like to not know God, then ultimately what happens is life just becomes a drudge. Life just becomes something that's just, oh, one day after next, this is a drag, this is terrible. He goes, understand how blessed you are. Understand how good you have it, and you'll be able to dance through the transitions of life more than just to klutz through them. And, and then he says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. I know you're trying this, but really focus on this. To make your call an election sure. Do you know that he has called you? Do you know that he has chosen you? Well, find a place of security in that so that you don't have to be insecure about where you stand with God. Start to make your life work. Allow the Spirit to work in this way because that's the way that you can be certain that you know where you stand with God. For if you do these things, all the dance that he described earlier, you will never stumble. That word means to trip. And that's what a lot of people are afraid of in trying to dance, that I'm going to trip, I'm going to stumble, it's not going to go right, it'll mess me up. But he says, no, be okay with growing be okay with learning. Look for smoothness of transition, pauses and hesitation. Timing is everything. And believe me, he's going to be there to catch you. And you think you'll trip, you won't. You'll end up, your life will be a beautiful and a gracious expression of, of who God is. And then finally in verse 11, he says, For so an, interest will be, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An interest will be supplied. Supply is such a, well, it's a word like add. It's just like, okay, it's supplied. There you go. Here's your supplies. In Greek, it's the same word, epikorageo, that same beautiful word of leading, intensively leading the dance. And, and so, again, by missing the translation, you miss the imagery and what he is saying is, if you learn to allow your life to be a sweet expression of smooth transitions of God's grace through various times and situations and trials, and you just continue to smooth it out and let him to do that, and, and you do this dance, you're not going to be in the fog, you're not going to be tripping, you're not going to be stumbling, but listen, here's where the dance ends. You will dance into the very doors of heaven. Your final little pirouette as you're, as you're moving into the kingdom of God is going to be that last celebratory expression of what God has done in our lives. And so, what a, what a beautiful picture. And we look all around us and we will see examples in life of life working this way. If you're not into dancing or sports or what, I mean, Go watch somebody surf sometime when they're really good at it. It's amazingly graceful and smooth when someone's good. Yeah, most of the people out in the water aren't. 
but you'll see someone, I was down at Salt Creek the other day praying about this message, and I saw a guy put a ride together that was just amazing, starts out by getting completely barreled and covered up by a wave, comes out, transitions into a great turn, cuts back, comes back off the wave, does a 360, it's just like, it was like a dance, it was gorgeous. Now, we see those things in life, and Peter just wants to go, that's what life is like. It's to be a beautiful expression of, of smooth transitions and graceful growing and all of these things. And he says, hey, you're dancing, whether you like it or not. You can be clumsy and trip, or you can continue to dance, and you'll find out that when you pass through the gates of heaven on that final transition, it'll go, now it makes sense. And we should dance like people who are heading to heaven. When people are going to get married and they know they have to do that dance, they, they usually go take lessons and practice and practice so they don't look stupid when they dance. You guys, these are the lessons. Your life is your dancing lesson before your entrance into heaven. Don't miss that. Don't settle for clumsy. Don't, don't settle for legalism. Don't settle for math. Let God choreograph your life in such a way that you flow with it and that you make it look easy and that you rough off, take off all the rough edges and, and you let him smooth you out so that when people can see you, they go, that's how I want to live my life. That looks like it works. It looks like you're doing it right. May God help all of us to find that, that sweet spot of, of the dance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for this amazingly graphic expression of Peter about the beauty of life with you. You wouldn't expect something so artistic out of a, of a fisherman, but over the course of Peter's life, he discovered beauty and grace. You exemplified it for him, Lord, and Peter, in the final analysis, did as well. And as he was hung and demanded that he be hung upside down because he wasn't worthy to hang on a cross like his Lord. God, thank you for giving Peter the opportunity before his graceful pirouette into eternity that, that he shared with us these things that are so important. The perspective of an old guy who got it right and who wanted to remind us of what matters. God, I pray that we won't be in a hurry to get done I pray that we won't be focused on all that we have to do. Help us to take the time to gracefully and smoothly live the life that you've brought us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.